Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Je suis venu vous parler d'Europe. Together, we can achieve incredible things. Europa skal stå stærkere i vores egen ret. Europa er vores fremtid. Du lytter til Altingets EU-podcast med din vært, Thomas Lauritsen. I am in uh, Kiev. I was here from the very first day of the war. Kan du huske Ina Sofsun? Det kan jeg. Min samtale med det ukrainske parlamentsmedlem i begyndelsen af marts gjorde stort indtryk på mig. Og her hvor det dramatiske år er ved at rende ud, fik jeg lyst til at høre hendes historie igen. Her hen over julen og nytåret vil jeg give dig et lille genhør med et par af de bedste interview fra 2022. Og jeg var ikke i tvivl om, at vi skulle lytte til Ina Sofsun igen. Ukrainsk økonom og politolog, og så hun medlem af landets parlament for det lille liberale oppositionsparti Holos. Ligesom næsten alle andre parlamentsmedlemmer og ligesom Ukraines præsident, valgte hun at blive i Kiev, da invasionen kom. Det er hun stadig, efter næsten et år med russiske angreb igen og igen. Og jeg tænker tit på Ina Sofsun og de ting. Hun sagde om Putin, om Vesten, om at føle sig forrådt, om frygten for atomkrig, om Danmark og om at være mor, datter og politiker midt i en krig. Her kan du høre hende igen. Altingets EU-podcast er sponsoreret af 3F, fordi Danmark fortjener færre journalistik om EU. First day the war started um, like four thirty in the morning. The first bombs I could hear exploding. Um, the first thing I needed to take care of uh, to make sure that my son is relocated to safe area. So my ex-husband, uh, the father of my son, did uh, took my son, our son, uh, to Western Ukraine, and I was staying uh, in Kiev all the time. And the first day of the war, we had the emergency session of the parliament, so I had to go there and then to take care of some other things. And by the time uh, I was ready to go home, it was actually now uh, we were getting information that the Russians are trying to come from the north, and uh, my home is in the north of the city. So I wasn't sure whether it was safe to go there, and uh, some f- uh, well, friends uh, offered me to stay with them, and they also have like a private house, so I, and I live in a multiple-storied building, so it's kind of easier here because when we hear the air raid a lot, we just can just go down the basement, which is easier than if I ha- I was staying at my place. Um, now when I would have to go down like like many floors down. Um, So, so I'm actually staying in Kiev, but not in my place, but at my friend's place. And my son is um, in Western Ukraine. My uh, my boyfriend rejoined the army, so I'm in touch with him, but I don't know where he is exactly. 
and uh, my dad and that's what worries me most of all what i'm trying to figure out what is happening over there is uh, he got back uh, uh, he took my mom to western ukraine the first day of war and then uh, he got back and they live like really close to kiev and there are uh, major battles taking place near kiev uh, and i think uh, the ukrainian army shut down all the uh, connection over there um so i cannot get in touch with him for three days now um so that is my personal situation. Can you go out? Uh, no, no. Like, like, yeah, you can during the the daytime before the curfew. Uh, but it's um, it's not very safe. Uh, so what the Russians did, it's not that bad right now. But by the very first uh, two days of war, that was the major issue with the so-called infiltrators groups. So they were infiltrating into the city, and they are just um, trying to um, like to make some. Uh, uh, terror minor terrorist act or uh, just start uh, shooting randomly at uh, people there was this case um i think it was second day of war uh when uh the, that group they it just they just started shooting randomly in the cars passing by and they uh showed they were shooting at a car with a family in them with three kids and one of the girls uh, she was uh, seven she was killed on spot and the other two are in the hospital uh, so, so the major threat in the city are those uh, infiltrators groups. The the police and the national guard and the territorial defense are trying to catch them, but uh, well, it's not always working. So, um, so again, but this is the situation in Kiev. The situation mm-hmm. in other cities is is very different. Again, uh, my native city of Kharkiv, I just feel so much pain for for the people there. I'm getting messages from people like my former classmates with whom I haven't really been in touch uh, like for 20 years since we graduated. Mm-hmm. But now everyone is just sending messages like, you know, please tell the whole world what is uh, what Putin is doing to us here in Kharkiv. This is just terrible. They are bombarding. The, uh, they have uh, launched a missile into the, the central square. I saw a bomb exploding, like like literally three minutes walk from from my school. I saw them bombarding from the ground, um, the the area where I grew up. So Kharkiv is just being uh, like turned into Aleppo. Uh, uh, that is just unbelievable. Um, I can't even imagine the exact number of of um, civilian casualties. It's not uh, available for well, you know, because it's very difficult to find uh, the exact number. Mm, but Kharkiv is on the verge of catastrophe and then mm-hmm. southern ukraine is um a bit different so they're not bombarding that from air but they are trying they're gaining ground because like in Kharkiv, they um despite the heaviest bombardments uh, uh, that they launched uh, uh they didn't manage to get into the city uh but in southern ukraine they actually did take control of um of several uh cities we uh, heard about this the big nuclear power plant uh, yeah, there is this uh, nuclear the power. Yeah, there is this nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia, uh, which they seem to have taken control of. Um, it is functioning, but they were just just for you to realize that they were shooting indiscriminately, just in the direction of the nuclear power station. The very fact that they only uh, got into the administrative building is actually luck, not uh, not uh, deliberate uh, uh, work on their side. How far do you think Putin is willing to go? I think that Putin, as of right now, can go as far as we can imagine. I don't think there is anything stopping him. I think we have to uh, admit the fact that he has literally gone crazy. 
like he is not uh this is not some uh evil political planning strategy or whatever this is just uh, a guy going delusional and going crazy and he's running this this you know what they claim to be the second largest army in the world uh so i do not think there is anything in his brain that will make him stop i do however uh keep hope that there are more sane people around him who will at some point realize that uh, he needs to be stopped. Otherwise, that will be not just the destruction of Ukraine, because uh, that they can, you know, accept. Well, that's what they're aiming at. But that would just mean the destruction of Russia and, and the whole of the planet. So uh, that is our greatest hope, is that uh, the Russians, uh, there are some people in the Russian elites uh, who would uh, put a hold to that. And, but that truly depends on how the West will react. Uh, I think uh, that's why what I'm doing right now is basically 24-7, I'm talking to the international media, mm-hmm. trying to explain the situation here in Ukraine and arguing um, to step up. Because uh, at the moment, we do actually feel very much betrayed by the West. So basically, we were attacked by Putin because uh, um, he was claiming that we're getting too close to the West. Which is, of course, nonsense because he attacked us in 2014 when we were officially a non-allied state and so on. But we did have this great hope that we should move closer to Europe. Let's get back to the international situation in in a second. I I just want to ask you another thing about your situation. As many other politicians, I understand, you have decided to stay in in Kiev and -hmm. your president has as well, of course, in your government. Um, Are you going to stay there no matter what happens? That's uh, a tough one because uh, mm. uh, I do have responsibility as a politician. I do have responsibility as, as a mother. So I'm now considering whether I should take my son uh, out of Ukraine. Uh, and um, as I said, uh, initially, my, my ex-husband did take him to Western Ukraine. But right now, uh, thinking about whether we should relocate him even further, given that uh, Western Ukraine is under constant uh, airstrikes uh, as well. Uh, my ha- my ex-husband cannot leave Ukraine because men are not allowed to leave the country right now. So it is possible that I will have to uh, go out for a couple of days uh, just to relocate my son because it appears I might be the only one who would be able to do that. Uh, so that's my responsibility as a mother. But as um, as a politician, yes, we are holding ground. We are here. We did have emergency session in the parliament yesterday just to show to the world that we are here. We are, you know, we are keeping the city we are not leaving like like the majority of MPs are still in um, Kiev and others who are not uh, uh, they have left for their constituencies you know when I, when I look at at your your uh, life and, and career you were born in the 80s you were an academic you were a politician you were in government etc uh, did, did you ever imagine that you would be in a situation like this in your life um, never like I uh, um, yeah I <laughs> Uh, actually, for the Danish audience, I, I did my master's in, in Sweden, in Lund. Yes, I saw that, yes. Yeah, just across the border. Um, and that now it just feels like um, like a different life. I mean, it is a different life. I did my master's years ago. But um, I think even two weeks ago, if someone would tell me that I would have to split with my son, that I wouldn't be able to see my boyfriend, that I wouldn't know how to get in touch with my dad, uh, then... Um, I just wouldn't believe that. I think we were all, uh, I, th- I think no one could really believe that this would be happening. 
Um, and it still feels like sometimes I, late in the evening when I finish, I'm done with all the interviews um, that I can, I think like maybe I will go to sleep and I will wake up and it will all turn out to be a bad dream. So it just feels so surreal and we have to brace ourselves because we do realize it uh, most likely is going to be a long fight. It's not going to be over in a week. It's not going to be over in in uh, in two weeks. So uh, just uh, I think a couple of days before the, the war started, I was getting messages from the administrator in, in the university where I teach because I still continue to teach. And she was saying, like, you know, can you please approve the schedule for the next semester for yes. starting March? Well, apparently I'm not teaching in March. So uh, now even uh, myself as a political scientist, I can't imagine that. Uh, I, I couldn't predict that. Also, I teach uh, I teach a course, and that uh, will be the last comment. I teach a course on ethics and politics. And I think uh, if we survive and if I go back to teaching, I will just have to remake all of it. Because after what we have seen, uh, um, I will have to reconsider all so many things. Mm. If we look at the international situation and the reaction of 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 Europe and and uh, and the world, you've already said that you feel betrayed uh, by that. Uh, for instance, the the question of a no-fly zone um, you mentioned. Do you understand the people in other countries who say that yes, we would like to do something like that, but we're too afraid that it would provoke an all-out nuclear war with Russia? Well. Um I do understand that, um, but uh, here is the situation from the Ukrainian side. In 1992, uh, oh, sorry, 1994, we gave up our nuclear weapon. We were a nuclear weapon state after the Soviet Union. We did have the nuclear weapon, and we voluntarily gave that up in exchange for security assurances on the Western side. The United States, the United Kingdom, we were all provided with assurances that in case we are in danger, we should be protected. And right now, that's exactly why it feels like betrayal, but because we did have those promises, those assurances in writing in exchange for our nuclear weapon. Uh, so now we are thinking like we probably shouldn't have given up our nuclear weapon, because if we hadn't, uh, that would not be an option. That uh, Then Putin wouldn't be bombarding our cities. Uh, so now, yes, we do feel betrayed precisely because we were given assurances in writing, in official documents by by, uh, by the West. I do understand the argument that um, the nuclear uh, option is always there. Well, I do believe, again, we have to understand at this point, we do have a delusional guy over there in Kremlin, or he's not in the Kremlin right now, he's hiding somewhere in the bank in, in the middle of nowhere in Russia. Uh, and he he doesn't need the West to do anything. He can just play, claim that the West did something if he wants to use the, the nuclear weapon um, option, like he did with Ukraine. He claimed that Ukraine is a threat and that is why he's invading us. It has nothing to do with reality. It's like in his delusional brain, he's just making up explanations. Um, so uh, I, I still have slight hope, uh, not slight, but actually... That is a very that's a fact based hope that uh, probably uh, there are some people in his uh, surroundings who wouldn't allow for that to happen. So I do think that the the level of the threat is is overestimated, and uh, um, 
that's why we're asking for uh, for no fly zone just because uh, like in keeping this this most terrible option uh, uh, open we are um, failing to protect uh, lives of thousands of civilians right now mm-hmm. um, the second thing is this Look, let's imagine putin does the worst he completely devastates my country and he is uh, like like completely kills everyone here and he takes control over uh, ukraine uh, he, w- would he stop there mm. Because that is the biggest question. And I think everyone, again, has to admit that he wouldn't stop. He already did say that he doesn't like Poland and Hungary in NATO. He doesn't like the Baltic states in NATO. He has issues with uh, Finland and Sweden neutrality. Uh, You must have read that statement by the the Swedish Minister of Defense a couple of days ago with Russian jets flying over the Swedish territory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Would the West step up then? Because I believe then, yes, the West would step up then if if uh, if Putin would uh, would do something to Finland, right? So uh, if the West would be willing to step up then, then why not to step in earlier when uh, we, with an attempt to save uh, millions of lives here in Ukraine? Mm-hmm. So I I do and I do hear this argument, but I'm not willing to accept that because right now. This just sounds like an excuse, and it's a bad one because it's not really, um, yeah. It, like, like if you proceed with this logic, you can see how that you know we just end up with the same with the West getting involved. It's just a matter of of time and and uh, casualties. Let me ask you at the end uh, here: uh, What do you think people in Denmark could do to help you in the Ukraine, and what would be your message to people in Denmark? I mean, you, as you said, you know Scandinavia. You've you've lived there, um, and studied there. Um, yeah, I do, and love Scandinavia, and I do think that uh, uh, Scandinavia has been uh, very supportive of Ukraine, uh, both Denmark and Sweden. We were seen uh, probably one of our best friends. Uh, well, again, please do support those full-scale sanctions. Uh, please do ask your governments to do that. Um, yeah, for for the time being, uh, I'm asking to support the Ukrainian refugees who are fleeing uh, Ukraine. Uh, we've got reports about one million people already fled. Uh, those are mainly um, like women with children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any humanitarian aid is extremely needed. What do you think is the most important thing about this that people in Denmark should understand now? Uh, I think people of Denmark should uh, grasp uh, their and uh, like, like should understand that Putin is a threat to the whole world right now. Like he is attacking Ukraine, uh, but he is actually attacking us because we chose to be democratic state. We are a messy democratic state. I'm representing opposition. I'm not uh, like you know. I do have so many issues with how Ukrainian state is functioning, but it is after all a democracy. We do select our uh, our rulers. We do select our parliament in, in open and free elections. Uh, again, I do have so many issues with how Ukrainian democracy is functioning, but it is a democracy. And it is the very idea of democracy and, and respect for basic human rights and dignity that Putin is attacking. That is what he sees as a threat. So, so any democratic state cannot just pretend that it's not about uh, them. It is about every single state that uh, that does believe in democracy and, and, and human rights and, and respect for human dignity. Uh, so uh, when Putin is claiming that he attacked Ukraine because we wanted to get into NATO, that is just, uh, sorry, just a lie, like everything he is saying. Because he did attack us again in 2014 when we were a neutral state. Mm. He did grasp part of our territory. 
and I'm sorry, but uh, he didn't get the reaction that we wanted from the West for doing that. That is why he is doing right now what uh, he is doing, because uh, he didn't get a full trade embargo after he annexed Crimea, because everyone was uh, just expecting that, uh, oh, we need the Russian gas. Well, we got the Russian gas. We have bombs falling on our heads right now. So, so had the West reacted uh, in a proper time after 2014 and just exclude Russia from anything possible uh, in 2014, simply for annexing Crimea, I'm sure that what happened, what is happening in Kharkiv right now, what is happening in the cities around Kiev right now, uh, and in towns and villages, wouldn't be happening. So it's really now up for the West to say if they will accept what is happening to Ukraine right now or if they will allow for Putin to proceed further. Tak til Ina Sofsun, parlamentariker, akademiker, mor og borger i Ukraines hovedstad, Kiev. Genudsendelsen af det her interview slutter her. Jeg talte med hende fredag den 4. marts, altså cirka en uge efter, at den russiske invasion begyndte. Lige siden har ukrainerne som bekendt fortsat en noget nær ufattelig kamp mod Ruslands forsøg på at knuse landet. Præsident Zelensky har optrådt på videoforbindelse til det ene topmøde efter det andet i EU og NATO. Og Europa har givet støtte for milliarder, både i form af våben og penge. Men det er stadig meget svært at se en vej ud af den her krig. Og Ina Sofsun, ja, jeg har ikke talt med hende siden den dag. Jeg kan se på hendes Twitter-konto, at hun er blevet genforenet med sin søn i Kiev. Ellers ved jeg ikke noget andet, end at hun i hvert fald ikke har givet op. Det skal være mit nytårsforsæt at tale med hende igen i 2023. Tak fordi du lyttede med. Mit navn er Thomas Lauritsen, og det var Magnus Bøgelund, der redigerede. I næste uge kommer der et lille genhør mere fra året, der gik. Denne gang om en af de store europapolitiske historier hjemme i Danmark, som 2022 jo også bød på. Tak for i dag. Godt nytår. Lyt med igen næste uge lige her, hvor altinget taler om Europa. Altingets EU-podcast er sponsoreret af 3F, fordi Danmark fortjener færre journalistik om EU. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30.000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.